0: Hey everyone, this is Derek Harp, the Founder and Chairman of the Control Systems Cybersecurity Association International, or as we call it, just CSEC. CSEC is a 501c6 nonprofit workforce development association dedicated to helping grow, support and sustain the professionals charged with the cybersecurity of control systems. We're specifically talking about those systems that have pumps and valves and actuators, real cyber to physical moving parts, and control nearly every aspect of our modern connected industries. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. It is my hope you find it inspirational or motivating or revealing or informative, and perhaps at times even a little entertaining. Take care and be well. Hi, I am
1: Bryson Bort, the co-founder of the ICS Village 501c3 with Tom Van Norman, my full-time job, the founder and CEO of Scythe. And I am a fellow with CSA. One of my responsibilities as a fellow is to do awesome podcasts, bringing you awesome content with awesome guests from our awesome industry. Awesome. Uh, First up, Daniel Bardenstein. why don't we start with your introduction and what mistakes you made in life that brought you here today?
2: Oh, thanks so much, Bryson. First of all, I I appreciate the passion. I hope it's contagious uh, as we dive in here. A pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm currently the CTO and co-founder of a company called Manifest. Uh, We do end-to-end s management, helping organizations make this relatively new concept uh, easy and automated, but otherwise... uh, to your question, I guess the the mistake I made to get here was I introduced myself to you once upon a time at Hack the Capital, I think. So uh, that that's the reason coming to say hi is now what led me ultimately to uh, all of my other mistakes in life and to being on this podcast. Well, that was your first mistake and you were in private industry at the time. So there's an interlude here between
1: private industry, Black Box, which you're going to brief us on, and now the startup that you're
2: doing. That's correct. That is correct. Let us open the Black Box together here. So uh, yes, in between stints in uh, in private industry, I, I took some time to work for, for Uncle Sam uh, in the U.S. government, uh, first at the Defense Digital Service within the Department of Defense. For those not familiar, uh, we used to uh, affectionately refer to ourselves as a SWAT team of nerds that try to help with all things tech and cyber related within uh, DOD. Uh, within DDS, uh, I was one of the cybersecurity leads for Operation Warp Speed, which was the government's Uh, initiative to rapidly develop, uh, distribute, and administer COVID vaccines. I did a bunch of research internally on ICS and OT cybersecurity that really piqued my interest in the field and and continued on later, and was also the director of the the storied Hack the Pentagon program. And then after that, I I went over to CISA, where I led Tech Strategy, uh, which was a new role on a new team to try to, uh, to, um, try to modernize how CISA does all things technology and security operations. And one of the things that was also on my plate there, where you and I got to spend some more time chatting as well, was also on ICS strategy for SZA as it tried to connect all the disparate ICS and OT initiatives that it has into a cohesive strategy and kind of a a unified story that that those on the outside could understand and provide feedback with and engage with. And along that
1: path, you decided SBOM was your future. What is SBOM and why
2: is it your future and potentially our future? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I'll start with this story and then we'll get to what an S bomb is. So, I I think the first big observation for me was on warp speed. You know, we were talking with the very large pharmaceutical companies that we all know today as, you know, the companies behind the the shots that we all put in our arms. But we're also working with the entire supply chain of software that these companies used in developing their vaccines and the amount of contractors, subcontractors. We have a different piece of software that runs our clinical trials a different piece of software, or a different company that that company outsources to for the specific databases for their clinical trials, on and on and on. And following down that rabbit hole and talking to the security teams, or lack thereof, on those companies, really impressed upon me the complexity and the length of, in this case, the vaccine supply chain, but the the software embedded in the vaccine supply chain. And also just that the farther you go up the chain, the scarier and scarier the security reality is. Uh, And then the second catalyzing event for me, as was, I think, for many others, and apologies if it sounds a little trite at this point, was Log4Shell. I was at DoD at the time, watching firsthand how many different units and organizations within the Department of Defense tried to identify where this one single library was running and all of their first and third party assets. And then actually, I forgot one. The third, I was doing some research over at the Aspen Institute, where I was focusing on medical device cybersecurity and the current, current regulatory environment. And that's when I first learned about the original concept uh, in that space around C-bombs, cybersecurity bill of materials, now, you know, more broadly merged into S-bombs and realized kind of a one plus one plus one equals three or five, if you will, it even, it's 2023 now. And generally speaking, when we build or buy software, we honestly uh, often don't actually know what's in it. All those embedded risks we get up the supply chain. And finally getting to the definition, the S-bomb, the software bill of materials. Ultimately, it's often referred to as, you know, the software ingredients list. It's a little bit of an oversimplification, but just in the same way that before you would buy a house, you'd want to conduct a home inspection and figure out how the house is built, when it was built. Is there mold somewhere? Are there, is there existing water damage? Are you responsible for that? Or is the seller responsible for that? It allows that same sort of information exchange to happen with software. And then also gives you the the data you have. In the event of a a log for shell type vulnerability where you have immediate insight into your third party software inventory so all this to be said you know s bombs are definitely not a silver bullet they're not going to solve everything and make all everything go away but it is pretty crazy that in 2023 we still largely don't know what we buy when we buy software and we don't even have it at the same level of when you want to buy cereal at a grocery store or buy a home or buy a car buying software is very still very far away from the level of information that consumers have when they make those decisions. So I was uh, prepping for a, another webcast
1: I'm doing next week on control systems and critical infrastructure. and the uh, moderator had, I mean a detailed plan. I mean, like three pages of notes and fully like meshed out. And toward the last of it was kind of the, what could asset owners do? And he had like, basically almost like, I don't want to, I don't mean this in a mean way, but like ripped out of the NIST CSF of like, these are the best practices. And I was like, useless, right? When we look at the problems asset owners and control systems have, um, sure, some of them are mature enough at that level, but I think many of them, and you see this on the IT side as well, I mean, it goes back to the starting point is configuration management, architecture, leading to visibility. I can't have visibility on what I don't even know I have and SBOM is clearly a part of that. So considering that this is a control systems podcast that we're doing, let's talk about the specifics of SBOM in the control system world. So I'm an asset owner. Why would I do SBOM? How
2: do I do SBOM? And when am I going to get there? All great questions, many of which I need to write out in some good blogs for the internet sphere at some point. Uh, So let's get to the why, especially for control systems uh, asset owners. So uh, one thing that I think most asset owners in, in the control system space, or you know, that, that have various OT, ICS, IIoT, you know, pick your acronym, know deeply is that software and hardware, just tech in general, lives a lot longer in the real world in operations than it does within the it in IT land, right? In in IT land, uh, in a cloud based tool, if something is wrong, the vendor can go patch it immediately, and it's totally transparent to you. That's great. As a control system asset owner. We all know that we might have devices out there in the field that have been out there for five years, 10 years, 20 years. Patching them might mean climbing on top of some very tall uh, structure or going to some very hard to access facility or in some cases going into space, right? So it is really incumbent that if we're going to deploy and take responsibility for the risk of assets that have really long shelf lives, we really ought to know what is inside it how do we minimize the risks that we take on before we even buy it and deploy it, put it in those hard to reach, hard to patch places, and then know what's in it. So when the risk comes up, we can make a much more informed decision on how and whether we go about deploying a patch or triaging new vulnerabilities that come in, because we know the calculus in OT is much different than it is for IT. So I'd say that's, uh, I think, one of the main things around the why, right? In terms of how, and this is it's going to be a whole long conversational, so I'll try to keep it succinct and high level and, and we can dive in uh, as needed. So the first step is just like any other type of data is data collection, right? And I'll pause there for an important nuance. I think a lot of people still think of SBOMs as a government compliance checkbox since with the executive order from May 2021, and even in Europe with uh, the Cyber Resilience Act and S2, there is a lot of regulation that's driving SBOM adoption. And I think to see SBOM as purely a regulatory checkbox is to miss the potential value as an asset owner, right? I think of it as a piece of data. And with data that I collect and aggregate and operationalize, most importantly, put it into my existing workflows, I can actually do something about the risk I have. So step one as an asset owner, how do I collect data? How do I collect SBOMs? Two key ways to do that, you require them from your vendors, and this is something we've done at Manifest. You know What is that contract language that you should put in your legal and requirements processes so that any new soft piece of uh any new software vendor that wants to sell to your organization needs to provide their SBOMs, right? And you know, about there's information around uh, when you want to, when is the good time to provide an SBOM and is it on every software update and patch, et cetera. The second way that you get S bombs besides requiring them from your third parties is if your organization is developing its own software, right? You have some sort of developer shop in your own organization, you get them to generate SBOMs. And the, the challenge there is how do you do that without further burdening developers, right? Developers are responsible for building new critical business features or fixing bugs, right? So the last thing we want to do is put additional burden onto them. So you're going to want to try to find a way that is more automated or at least uh, less burdensome for your developers to be silently generating SBOMs as they're developing software. Once you have all your SBOMs, like once you have your data, then as an asset owner, I want to make sure someone's collecting it, aggregating it, right? We see in real life, especially in certain critical infrastructure sectors and organizations, S-bombs, which again are just machine-readable pieces of JSON, they're not fun to read as a human, they end up in Microsoft Teams folders or Google Drives or just random data stores. It doesn't really do a lot for me, right? So how I store those S-bombs, can I normalize the data so it's in a searchable, filterable, queryable format is super helpful. And that allows me then the most important thing, how do I operationalize this stuff? Again, a bunch of data sitting somewhere doesn't help me at all as an asset owner. But can I integrate it with tooling, with vulnerability management tooling, with uh, integrating with my asset management and ticket management tools? So this I don't think it's quite a utopia. I think the the, the goal that that asset owners are maybe only 6 to 12 months away from realizing is when I buy a piece of software, I know it's in it and we can work with the vendor to mitigate some of those vulnerabilities before I deploy it in production. Once I have that asset deployed, I have regular tooling in place that when there is a new vulnerability disclosed, uh, I automatically get a notification on whether any of my assets, first or third party, are running an impacted component. I can do some triage around you know, the severity, the exploitability, the operating context, Right? is this in a you know, safety system, is it an offsite you know, rig, whatever that might be, and make a much more informed decision about whether and how to go to patch it. So I'll, I'll wrap up this long, this long answer by saying how far away are asset owners from this? I think a lot shorter than they think. I think the tooling is starting to mature. I think integration with existing processes are there. This could be six to twelve months away from having a more automated, uh, a better visibility into the software that asset owners are ultimately responsible for, and plugging this into their existing workflows, such that they actually see the risk reduction value of collecting S bombs. Said a lot of things,
1: and I'm going to highlight them. And probably in the process of highlighting them, you're going to give even more things, and my list is going to get a lot longer here. First thing I want to pick on because. Uh, this is something I've been talking about for years. Procurement is your best friend. When we are talking about the supply chain, when we are talking about shadow IT and shadow OT, um, the that is a choke point for security policy to get implemented. If it's not in a contract, it's not going to happen. You're going to beg, you're going to plead, and you spend a lot of energy, and most likely you're not going to get anything. And so the question on procurement there is that's good for me going forward. What can I do retroactively looking at
2: legacy systems? Great question. And the legacy systems are always the hardest you know, subset of, of, of systems to deal with. So I think there are two answers here that, that we've seen. The first is there are a set of tools out there that are, per, are particularly good or at least more focused on effectively reverse engineering or doing kind of binary composition analysis on especially firmware and devices that are already built, right? So if you have something there, you can point some of these tools at them. And they'll do the best they can to try to reverse engineer or, or pull out various pieces of software libraries, DLLs, etc. So maybe it's not a complete S-bomb, but you have some semblance of what's there. But ultimately, I think, philosophically, it's on the software vendor to tell you what's in their software, even if you've already bought it, right, it'd be like you somebody serves you a nice uh, meal at a restaurant, and then asks you to reverse engineer all the ingredients in it, right? Yes, you have bought the dinner. But if you're definitely allergic to peanuts, they still need to tell you whether there's peanuts in there rather than say, well, you bought the thing. You tell us whether there are peanuts in it, right? So while there are these tools that can go in and do some uh, analysis retroactively, and again, we, we continue to see the accuracy there can be a little bit varied, we've st- still seen success that, again, putting SBOM back at re- requests out to vendors that you still have relationships with or on new upgrades or patches still is a fruitful way to collect SBOMs if those vendors want to continue those contracts or you know continue those relationships. We do see vendors sharing S-bombs. And again, I will also admit that you know, we've also talked with folks who say, hey, we have some control systems that are 20 years old. The company has already gone out of business. What do I do? And that's where I think you you fall back for lack of a better option on that, that first scenario. There are some decent tools. I'm not going to say they're perfect out there, but they're probably better than nothing. They at least give you some visibility into what's in them. But otherwise, you just got to either try to replace them or mitigate them with other you know, defensive strategies, you know, via network or, you know, endpoint controls, whatever that might be.
0: Hey, everybody, Derek Harp here. And I just want to take a brief moment to thank three companies that make this podcast series possible. The first company is Waterfall Security Solutions. They led the charge this year for the podcast, and they specifically sponsored it from their podcast, the Industrial Security Podcast. So check that out. That's a great linkage to an entire other series over over 100 episodes. They had their anniversary recently focused on control system cybersecurity. And they were supported this year by KPMG and Fortinet. We could not do this without them. These companies not only have supported this podcast series this year, but they have supported CISA since its very early days, eight years ago. And we're entirely grateful to the teams and dedicated professionals at Waterfall Security Solutions, KPMG, and Fortinet. Okay, so vulnerability
1: management. You mentioned it, but I think this is an area where SBOM has a significant amount of value. The traditional approach to vulnerability management is I have a list of known misconfigurations or known vulnerabilities. I enumerate that list against assets. That's vulnerability management. And then then I go back to begging, pleading, cajoling, uh, threatening uh, the system owners
2: to do something about it. Tell me how SBOM makes that better. Absolutely. Well, I'll say at first SBOM adds to the problem, right? Because... With an S you'll see every single library in an asset that you might buy, and a lot of them are going to throw on, uh, throw off, uh, you know, vulnerability alerts. Right when you look them up in NVD or OSV or, or any other, you know, uh, source of vulnerabilities, you'll get a long list of vulnerabilities that might be in this asset. Right. So the most important thing that that you can do then is you know, triage them with, with additional context, right? So that initial value of S bombs will tell you about vulnerabilities that you didn't know were already deployed in your network. And we've seen this already with our customers, right? Stuff they've already deployed into production. Once they realize what's in it, they realize, hey, there's this old version of this Python library that's sitting in a public facing asset that has a, whatever, exploitable RCE, you know, remote code uh, uh, execution vuln, uh, that's just sitting out there, right? So they didn't know that until they had the SBOM. But the SBOM will also provide a lot of other vulns that need to be effectively triaged. So, you know, part one, I think a lot of tools are bringing in, we certainly are, at manifest is how do you bring an additional context into vulnerability management, right? So most people traditionally just look at your CVSS score from NVD, right? That's zero to 10. Everyone has very strong opinions about it. I'm not going to comment here on my opinions on it, but I think it's maybe just one part of a-, a why, why aren't you going to comment? What's holding you back? It's a good point. I don't work for government anymore. Uh, I used to work with some of the people who worked on it. I think, and, and there's also CVSS v4 is coming out too, so I, I don't want to uh, knock on v4 before. Well, that I action.
1: mean, so let's let's yeah, let's quickly knock this tangent out. CVSS, in fact, like miter attack, great idea. It's not that a great, but the problem with great ideas is when we simplify them, we misuse them, right? In miter attack, we turn it into bingo cards. Correct. In CVSS, we turn it into a an integer. I mean, well, I mean, 8.2, right? So, but fundamentally, we turn it into a simple number and we're like, that's it. That is all I need to take away from this. And so, when we talk about context, it's taking that number and making it real. Cause, yeah, two for you on that asset could be different than 8.2 for you on that asset. And that could be different than 8.2 for that person on a similar asset and a similar thing. And I mean, the way I simplified is there's two aspects to vulnerability management. There's the external piece which is where epSS comes in and has its own challenges but I actually want to give them credit on how they've grown that because they're trying to bring the external context mm-hmm. We're talking about the internal context where again, CVSS has been the simplified
2: hill that everything else is trying to climb correct and we've even seen a couple of cases recently where you know volumes have been published with very high CVSS scores that have been retracted or found to be you know uh, lots of fun examples out there so let me hit that uh, head on then so, The way I see it and the way Manifest has tried to approach it, I kind of see vulnerability information in two key categories. There's sort of intrinsic information about the vulnerability itself, and then there's the context in which the asset is deployed, right? Some of that stuff you can get well from either an SBOM or from some of these other data sources around, like we talk about CVSS is one. We also bring in EPSS. We also, for example, with SBOMs, we can tell you how many assets in your environment are running a particular vulnerable component, right? So it's the log 4j question, how many assets in my environment are impacted by this vulnerability? That's something we can ask, answer with bombs. where bombs stop. And then that second part of uh, vulnerability context for me kicks in is where is the, where is this asset deployed? Or, or what's the important context? Is it on the public internet? Is it part of a critical operation? Like it's a medical device in, in an emergency room or an operating room? Are there already some mitigations in place, like it's in some sort of offline you know, warehouse somewhere, et cetera, et cetera, right? Or does it have the crown jewels, all those basic contexts. So it was one of those things, It's again, back to not being a silver bullet, like S-bombs will not totally solve vulnerability management. They are an incredibly helpful piece of information to show you where vulnerabilities are that you didn't have. You still need to enrich those vulnerabilities with information about the vulnerability itself and even more importantly, or as important, integrate with your other sources of Asset management context to tell you, it'd be, you know, like you said, it'd be very different if I have the exact same MRI machine a couple times in my environment. One's, one of them's in an OR, one of them's in an offsite clinic. One of those is much more important to triage than the other. And to just add one more thing about how vulnerable, the importance of vulnerability management here, I think you, let, let's dive in for a little bit on the what we like to think about is the first party SBOM use case, or so like a DevSecOps type flow. So we have a, I'll, I'll tell the story about a, a defense, uh, a customer of ours in the defense space. Um, so their product security lead, ultimately, he wants to make sure that the code they push out is secure, right? At the same time, he doesn't want to burden his developers with all of these false positives or all of these vague CVSS 10 out of 10 volumes that they need to go fix. So his vision, his workflow that we're helping him you know, build out with our tooling, you know, so anytime his developers push a new branch, they create an SBOM silently in the CI CD pipeline automatically, and that gets you know sent to our platform for analysis. We find potential issues, vulnerabilities, licenses, etc. Uh, of note. We enrich that with all that data, like I mentioned. And then he sets these configurable criteria for what he cares about, what he needs to report on to the government, what's actually a legitimate vulnerability. And then he wants that information to get back to the developer automatically in a way that's easy for the developer to understand. Right. So another interesting thing here that SBOMs can help you with is, for example, understanding. How a vulnerability gets introduced in the first place, right? It's not uh, like via dependency trees, right? So I can say, you know, this vulnerability, this component is vulnerable, but this component was really brought in from this upstream library of dependencies. So at the end of the day, he'll he'll have an automated uh, comment back onto a GitHub pull request that says, "Hey, developer, you just tried to push this code. It had these vulnerabilities in these libraries that were introduced by these upstream libraries. So it's not about patching the downstream one. It's about patching the one where this actually came in from." here's the latest version to upgrade to, go for it. So it saves time for him as a security person. It saves time for the developer so they know what to fix, how to fix it. They have all the instructions. So they've now reduced the amount of time they've taken to secure their code and their software before it goes out the door to their customers. So let's follow that rabbit hole a little bit deeper, right? We've talked about
1: how I can work my supply chain, which really is more the supply chain being ready for that because... Otherwise, it's like you can demand it, but they can't do it, and so that's a conversation. But we, we've identified procurement is how I make that happen. But I'm also developing things, I'm configuring things, I'm doing things.
2: What would be your recommendation for how do I get started internally for that internal product security use case? You mean? Yeah. So I'd go back to the the order of operations I listed earlier, and the first thing is how do you generate those S bombs? And you know, we we talk to organizations that have. Multiple different business units, different CI CD or, or developer pipelines across those business units. And so the answer here is not to try to boil the ocean to get everyone generating S bombs overnight. I would personally, if I was in this role, I'd start with one mature business unit, developer team, et cetera, with a strong pipeline. I would work with them and you know use, you know, vendors or tooling to how do we generate S bombs one off? You know, do we does it meet the the accuracy that we want to see in the S bomb? Well, so way like to- what what's the level of my S bomb? Right, because I mean, there's depth that I can go to here. So, how do I determine that even? Yeah. So, a lot of tools. Uh, there's there's multiple <laughs> there's multiple layers of depth, multiple types of depth. Right. So, one flavor of depth is, uh, you know, even just in terms of like your open source software dependencies, right? Because you might just see, you know, you might just think, oh, I bring in this random third party library that makes pie charts, whatever that is, and making yeah, it more. How I, far I, does it go? It, right. Exactly. <laughs> and then that library brings in other libraries, so there's, you know, it, it can go as, as far down as as you want or need. Right. So there are with some tools, some tools you can use that go all the way down until they stop, that can be a lot of data overload. So there's some sort of degree of configurability, but it's still good to know at least I would say two or three levels down, not within an asset, but like down the chain, that's usually like a good heuristic you can go a lot further down if you'd like. And then especially with going back to the kind of control systems space and the way things actually work with OEMs or other software providers. Is rather than just thinking about open source third party dependencies, I also might be injecting coder modules from OEMs, for example, right? And so that goes back to then requiring SBOMs from you know not just my software vendors, like who's providing my routers, switches, printers, but to OEMs who actually might be providing or writing software for me that I embed in my, you know, the, the module that shows my heads up display in my car, for example, right? Like we're working with some uh, automotive companies. And they are starting to require SBOMs for their OEM-developed software. And then they want to be able to generate one big SBOM that's, you know, for this particular piece of software in the car, here's what we wrote, here's what the OEM wrote, here's what this other OEM wrote. And so you have kind of fidelity all the way up the contractual supply chain, not just the open source dependency supply chain.
1: And what are some... So I don't want to be creating yet another spreadsheet. So what are
2: some tooling and approaches and what does that look like? Yes, let's hope this isn't a problem another problem that we have to solve with spreadsheets so this was a problem near and dear to our hearts which is part of why we started manifest right the idea that people are storing this data in teams folders or uh uh, my my co-founder was at a very large cybersecurity company that literally used spreadsheets for their own internal log for shell response so you know given our backgrounds at various data analysis companies i mean really this is a, a big data type problem so There are a small number of companies out there, obviously Manifest being one of them, that takes in this this JSON data, these S-bombs, and tries to store them and normalize them in a place where it can be easily searched and filtered and queried. Uh, And that's how you run your analytics on on top of any data, right? You need the data to be clean, you need it to be consistent, and you need to be available. And putting it in Excel spreadsheets or putting it in Teams uh, isn't going to get you that same level of fidelity. So this is definitely one of those places where bringing in tools. There are one or two open source tools out there that are okay, but there are some uh, rapidly maturing enterprise-ready tools that can house all the SBOMs for an entire global company, both for the software they're building and for the software they're buying. All right. You said six to
1: 12 months. That seems bold. What is going to happen in six to 12 months? Uh, Clearly, this is not going to be problem solved. We're talking some kind of MVP, understanding, feature set, tool maturity. Why six to twelve months? Convince me.
2: Yeah, and and this is maybe a good hot take, and I know there's a lot of skepticism about how valuable S bombs can be, or how long it'll take to to reach this S bomb utopia. And since um, we're only a podcast, they can't see my face. Exactly, exactly. I would, I wish they could. I would, if I had better words, I would describe it for them. I mean, I don't think I have to look much farther than some of the customers we've worked with already. That, for example, we're generating S bombs in literally a minute after signing up with the platform, or w- uh, customers, when they actually put in hard SBOM requirements into their procurement language, saw SBOMs immediately for their next vendor assessments, and it didn't really sufficiently delay, you know, actually doing the pilot the evaluation. We actually, a quick tangent, couple great wins. One of them from a healthcare customer that did this whole cycle twice of you know, the required SBOMs from the vendors. They want to buy a software vendor. The vendor provided the SBOM upfront immediately. They uploaded to manifest lit up like a Christmas tree, all these vulnerabilities and particular issues. Then even a non-technical procurement person was able to have this conversation with the vendor around, by the way, here's what your software looks like. And then the vendor wanted to close the deal, went back and fixed a bunch of stuff, came back 36 hours later with only five vulns, no crits in their software. They closed the deal, they deployed it. Uh, so they now have reduced risk of the software in their production environment. They have an inventory of all the dependencies in their software. And even that vendor now is a more secure product for all of their other future customers, right? Going from 89 volumes with many, many crits down to five, right? So nice nice little story there. And then, you know, we, we've we even already seen cases where, you know, so I just covered how easy it can be to generate S-bombs and to get them from your vendors. We've already seen cases where brand new vulnerabilities get published in, you know, by, by CISA and the National Vulnerability Database or from elsewhere, you know, automated alerting kicks in and users get these nice emails of, Hey, there's a new vulnerability. We can tell them it didn't impact anything you have, so you don't need to worry about it, or it impact these particular assets, and then they can go triage them. So, is are we six or twelve months away from solving all of our supply chain problems? Absolutely not. Do I think it's six? Or, do I think six or twelve months is more than a reasonable time frame for a willing organization to generate SBOMs for their some of their internal products, put contract language together to get SBOMs from the vendors? store it all somewhere where they can get proactively notified if there are new vulnerabilities disclosed? Absolutely. As long as your legal uh, and other red tape departments don't necessarily slow you down, I think six to 12 months is a very doable goal for most organizations.
1: All right. What else do you want to talk about about
2: SBOM? I would just say that I think a lot, there's still a lot of questions around SBOM. You know, how can it be used? Uh, how long will it, will, it, will it take to see value? A lot of the great questions you've asked already, Bryson. I'd say that the, the key things to remember are that SBOMs, like any other piece of data, are only as valuable as the way you use them. If all you do is require them, all you do is generate them, and they just sit there, you're not going to be super convinced of the value of SBOM, and you're going to be missing out on key ways to reduce your your supply chain risk. So treat SBOMs like any other piece of data you'd put into your SIM or your detection or monitoring tools, right? If you think of it like a meaningful piece of security data uh, or piece of inventory data, then you stand a much better chance of not only understanding what's your, your environment, but you know you can't protect what you don't know exists, right? So the first step is getting the inventory, and then you're able to build in those workflows to actually help defend your enterprise a little bit better than you did before. And I think the, the other thing I would say is there's also some questions around, uh, you know, are SBOMs really a thing, right? Like, is the, is the government going to give up on this in uh, a few years or so after things time out, or it's all just going to disappear? I'll give you my unvarnished take and, and listeners can take it or leave it. S-bombs are coming, right? Like you know, the as if we're in game of thrones, like things things are coming, right? Uh be it by regulations, you know, the the care, uh, the stick approach or just as best practices put out by NIST in 800 216 or NSA or CISA or other EU bodies. Uh so it's up to most it's uh, organizations have this choice of do they want to wait till the very last minute and try to scramble to meet a regulation deadline and risk get caught on the other side of that? Or do they want to lean into this proactively, not only to meet those requirements, but also to just do better internal security development or third party risk management internally? And that's a question that every organization will have to answer for themselves. But we've definitely already seen some companies that have had to scramble for last minute regulation deadlines. And I will tell you, it's not very fun. Let's try not to end on threats.
1: So, your hottest take on SBOM and to give you some space for it. Something that you're saying that you haven't heard anybody else say. Man, that's putting me on the spot.
2: It is putting you on the spot. Vulnerability found. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of something that no one else has said. I think there are things that people aren't talking about loud enough. So I'd say maybe one of those things is that S-bombs are just the beginning. It's not just about S-bombs. The story doesn't stop with S-bombs. You have some other near-term concepts like VEX, the Vulnerability exploitability Exchange. uh, Without going down that rabbit hole, that's meant to be an accompanying piece of JSON next to your SBOM piece of JSON that helps uh, communicate vulnerability, exploitability in an automated way. So the Siemens or Rockwells or Schneiders of the world can easily tell their customers whether or not they're impacted by a volume. You know, that's coming soon. But uh, I think what's really, what SBOMs are really just the tip of the iceberg of. is just we're finally taking a look at tech, uh, transparency in the technology that we have. So like one thing, it'll sound very buzz that we're looking into working with some partners on, uh, a machine learning bill of materials, right? If I'm going to be buying software that everyone's going to be shoving LLMs and GPT-4 into, how do I know that there isn't an LLM or GPT-4 under the hood? How do I know what data it's been trained on? How many you know, epics it's been run on, right? So I think SBOMs are just looking at software, right? There's other sorts of bill of materials that are out there, but I, I think this is just the beginning of us finally agreeing that finally in the 2020s, it's no longer acceptable just... Have tech be a black box, any sort of technology. And so I think whether or not you think S bombs are coming, and again, I, I think they are, I think the general uh, uh, era of uh, software and technology transparency is really just starting to heat up and will continue to heat up, hopefully for the long term. Ending as we began, awesome interview. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bryson. Always a pleasure.
0: Hi, everyone. This is Derek Harp the Founder and Chairman of the Control Systems Cybersecurity Association International, or as we call it, just CSEC. CSA is a 501c6 nonprofit workforce development association dedicated to helping grow, support, and sustain the professionals charged with the cybersecurity of control systems. We're specifically talking about those systems that have pumps and valves and actuators, real cyber to physical moving parts, and control nearly every aspect of our modern connected industries. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. It is my hope you find it inspirational or motivating or revealing or informative and perhaps at times even a little entertaining. Take care and be well.